Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Welcome along to the latest edition of the Full Throttle Bike Racing Podcast from Eurosport. It's season two, episode six. The one for Wednesday, the 27th of March, 2019. And I'm Greg Haynes. But it's all about the Bennett's British Superbike Championship this week. We're not far off now, are we? We've got one weekend off, then we've got two World Superbike rounds, Aragon and Assen, and then, finally, in April, on the Silverstone National Circuit that delivered so much action and some glorious racing in the closing stages of last year, the new season will begin. And on the line to speak to us in the next few seconds is the 26-year-old who's made so many headlines in Grand Prix racing over the last decade or so, Scott Redding. Remember what he did back at Donington Park in 2008? He became the youngest ever Grand Prix winner in the 125 class. And a young Spaniard shared the podium with Scott Redding that day. He went by the name of Mark Marquez. Well, Marquez has gone on to achieve such brilliance, becoming one of, if not the, Greatest Premier Class Grand Prix rider of all time. Things have been tougher for Reading, but he's still only 26. He's picked up two MotoGP podium finishes so far. And remember, of course, he previously managed 14 podiums and three Grand Prix wins, including the British Grand Prix at Silverstone in the Moto2 World Championship. That particular win at Silverstone was in 2013, and he was runner-up to Paul Aspargro there cruelly robbed of the title in many ways by injuries late in the season. But he still picked up three poles, seven podiums and three wins that campaign. And he's looking to achieve similar success in his maiden BSB campaign in 2019. You have to say he's got a pretty good chance. He's with the Paul Bird Motorsport team, the new Ducati V4. And that, of course, has already delivered six wins from a possible six for Alvaro Bautista in World Superbike. So you have to think Scott Redding is probably feeling rather confident as he joins us this week on the Full Throttle Bikes podcast. So Scott, we're getting closer and closer now, aren't we, to Silverstone? We've got that media day and a little bit of track running to do there. But how's life? How are you feeling generally? Yeah, feeling pretty good. I've had a pretty good off-season. Looking forward to getting onto an English track with the bike at least. We've obviously been testing out in Spain at the moment, which was good for me because obviously not even knowing the tracks in Spain, just having warm weather to not worry about and getting good quality track time to understand the bike and tyres. So I'm looking forward to getting down to Silverstone to uh, 
to get the feeling on the UK track. A hell of a lot's changed though, hasn't it, for you this year? I mean, not just the bike. I don't know if that's one of the smaller things that's changed because the whole environment you're going to be in now is going to be completely different, isn't it, to MotoGP? Different people around you, very different racetracks. So you're excited about it though? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's nice to have a change, but like you say, everything has changed. Bike, tyres, brakes, people, tracks, weather, you name it, it's different. The only thing that's the same is probably me, you know. Um, but I like that. I like going to new tracks, you know, and testing. I never rode Porto Mayo or Monte Blanco. Um, but I had so much fun because I have a motivation trying to go fast as I can, as fast as possible. And having a new track is always a different take. There's a different character to each track. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to being in front of all the British fans, you know, and having a great time and meeting lots of new people again. So I guess you must have raced some of these tracks before, at least on track days years ago, but even Silverstone is going to be different, isn't it? Because this is the national circuit, not the Grand Prix circuit. So how many of the tracks do you actually know in terms of racing on? Yeah, well, I haven't done any track days in the UK and I didn't race in the UK so much. Um, so I know Silverstone, uh, GP track, not the small circuit, I know Donington from 2009. Mm. Don't know how much has changed. Um, I did Brands Indy and Cadwell Indy on a 85 when I was uh, 13, I think, 12. Right, okay. And that's it for my British track experience. Right, okay. So it's pretty much learning almost all of them, isn't it? But that's going to be part of the challenge for you, I suppose. What about the championship itself though how do you feel about it coming into it completely new era now isn't it no shaky burn no leon haslam no jake dixon we've got all these new exciting names coming in you chavi forrest and pretty much everybody is on a different bike this yeah, year yeah I mean, the championship looks cool anyway you know great racing obviously there's no electronic which is good for me um and it, it brings out the riders i think that's what makes such good racing there and at each track, another bike seems to be more competitive than another one. It's not always dominant all the time. Okay, maybe the top two is, is quite similar. But when you look further back, different riders are getting close to the podium from different races, which goes to show how level playing field it is. Yeah. Um, and that's what I like uh, going there. Which, like you say, there'll be four heads will be there coming from World Superbike. A lot of guys changing bikes, which is great because everyone comes on to trying something different. Um, and having myself there, you know, it's something I look forward to. A lot of people are saying, you know, Scott won't handle this kind of racing. Well, like I've said to many people, I wasn't born with a silver spoon in my mouth. And I like to go bar banging when I go racing. So I think it will suit me quite well. Yeah, I, I personally feel for what is worth. I think it's going to suit you a lot better than it would suit a lot of the other MotoGP riders. Because like you say, they're, a lot of them are used to this nice environment, aren't they? But you're not afraid to get out there and, and just go for it. Yeah, I think that's a bit my problem. Like, I am suited more to that BSB style of racing, you know. I'm not all about money, big motorhomes and all that stuff. You know, I just like to, to go racing, do the best job you can on the weekend, yeah. shake hands, win or lose, and, and see it the next race. That's the sort of style I like about racing. I mean, that's what it seems to be like at BSB, some great racing, proper getting stuck in, and the fans going mental, which is 
what I go racing for. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And you can guarantee we're not going to get any of these politics like we've seen in MotoGP already this year, are we, with the Ducati and the, the rear end of the Ducati? We're not going to get any of that in BSB. It is about the racing. Well, yeah, I'll see how, how good the bike is. If we start dominating, there could be some questions. But I think it keeps it down, plain, plain, and that, that's the way it is, you know. It's, it's building a bike to win a championship. That's what all manufacturers are doing, you know. So actually, talking about the bike then, before we start sort of comparing it and analysing how it is, what was it like at first to go from a MotoGP prototype with the Michelin tyres and carbon brakes and everything else to a BSB bike, production-based bike, Pirelli tyres, no electronic aids? That must have been <laughs> quite a thing when you first did it. To be honest with you, it wasn't that bad. Um, I expected worse. Right. So I've been used to MotoGP bikes. Really? Like you said, did you, were you sort of expecting to be out of control and all over the place? Um, so when I got on it, the guys were like, oh, do you want electronic? I said, mate, I can't race with it, so just let me go as it is, you know. I'll probably, if I high-sided turn one, I've learned my lesson. Right. But I took my time, I built up, and I felt good uh, immediately. And it, it just, when I adapted my style, I started to feel like when I was on Moto2. So the feeling of the bike, the tires, the brakes, is all similar to when I was racing Moto2, but obviously a bit more power and a bit heavier bike. Um, so I actually feel more comfortable with this style of riding. Right, okay, that's interesting. And obviously you were super, super comfortable and very, very quick on a Moto2 as well when you were last there. You know, you were challenging for the title, weren't you? Yeah, that, that's, that was the thing, you know. But literally, like, after I got my head around it a bit, that was the, the feeling that I have, like the braking sensation, kind of sliding a bit into the corner, lifting the rear, managing on the throttle, throwing the bike left and right however you want. Um, hmm. And yeah, I mean, it helps a lot with a bike that works well. That is a big part of the of, of the program. When the bike works well, everything else follows in suit. So the bike was good pretty much straight out the crate, and we're not even close to the full potential of the bike. You know, we have a lot of work still to do on it. But even as it is, I feel I feel awesome. I mean, it is a pretty awesome bike by what we've seen in World Superbike so far with what Alvaro Batista is doing. But as you said before, I guess in BSB the way the rules are and the way the level playing field usually is, they get it very good, don't they, in terms of keeping the field nice and equal. But it's still going to be a hell of a bike, isn't it? Surely the, the levels of rate have risen now with this new Ducati. Yeah, I mean, with the World Superbike, obviously they have more time developing with their Morelli electronic um, and other stuff like that. We literally got the bike. They didn't even get much dyno testing to manage all the fuel setting and everything. So we had to use the first test really as a big dyno setting. Um, and we wasn't planning to play with ele- with um, with suspension setting and stuff, but we did lead off down that way to make me feel comfortable. Hmm. And I was just putting laps under my bike. But when you see the potential of it in world superbikes with a MotoGP rider on it, the results are outstanding. Yeah, it's been absolutely unbelievable, hasn't it? What have you made of that very quickly? I mean, <laughs> we knew Alvaro Batista was going to be quick, but I don't really think anyone expected six wins from the first six, did they? Well, I don't know why people say it's so unbelievable, if I'm honest. Um, I don't take nothing away from World Superbike riders whatsoever. They're all great riders. Mm. But a rider like Bautista that's been in world-class level, you know, won world titles and been competitive in MotoGP with a good bike, why would he not be so dominant? You know what I mean? Yeah, why would you not expect him to be? Yeah. I mean, I never, honestly, I didn't expect any different. I didn't expect such a big lead 
from the first race. That took me by surprise because obviously he doesn't know the tyres and everybody says you have to conserve the tyre, this and this. And when he took the lead into turn three at Phillip Island and started gapping them, I thought that's maybe risky, but he had everything under control. He managed it well and he's just done it ever since. And what do you think is going to be the biggest difference for you going from MotoGP to BSB? Because the style of racing, the people around you, the circuits we've talked about, it's going to be utterly different, isn't it? The way you approach a race tyre wear, all that sort of thing. It's going to be a completely different ball game now. Yeah, um, I think my biggest um, challenge will be maybe just understanding the circuits fast. I mean, at testing, I was fast quite in the short amount of laps. But obviously, with sessions, you don't can't maybe get the rhythm that you want to get. More people on track on a shorter track. Um, mm. Maybe that is, but like I say, enjoy it. So I'm 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 hungry for that. Uh, the tire wear situation. I did a lot of work in Portimao to to understand that. I did two race simulations because also I've only ever done one race on a Sunday. So building up to that pinnacle is now different. But in the end, you know, it's tarmac, rubber, and, and a bike. So it's the same deal. Oh, yeah, I suppose is it fair to say that sometimes you can start overthinking these things if you're not careful. You just got to get to a point where you think I've just got to get on with it and go. Well, that's kind of the approach I took. Um, the bike's good. The team's good. I'm good. It's one of those things. Like, if I'm struggling with the bike, it's completely different because my focus is on the bike. I'm not focusing on the track. I'm not focusing on lap time. Now it was like, bike's good. I'm good. Team's good. Bike works well. Focus on the track. Once I dialed the track in, focus on lap time. When you get the lap time, focus on your race run. And how have you found it, Scott, going from the Michelin MotoGP tyres to the what are very obviously known to be very, very super soft Pirelli superbike tyres. Bautista doesn't seem to have had a problem with it. What's it been like for you? I don't know why people say they're so super soft and everything. Um, I feel okay with them. Um, yeah. Really? So they're not like as soft as people talk about? Not in my opinion. Um, I don't know. They're not moving around crazy, crazy. I mean, sometimes you get a bit of moving, but you get that with the Michelin as well. I mean, the front tire is, is, I've pushed it quite hard. I'm surprised. I have more, I have more grip, like in Portimao, I have more grip with that bike, with those tires than I did, ever have with a MotoGP bike. So, I don't know what's been going on for the last few years. I don't know if that's normal, if that's how it should be. I mean, you have to respect the tire on a long run compared to MotoGP, but you still have to, to save some tire in MotoGP when you can. So I don't know if it was just bad for me in, in my MotoGP years and now it's like this, but for me, I feel much better with the Pirellis than I, than I did with the Bridgestone or the Michelin, for example. What about the lap times? I know it's only testing, but just looking at the test so far, you were right up there, weren't you? <laughs> you and Forres immediately in the first few days. Were you surprised or is it dangerous to read too much into the times at this moment? Yeah, I mean, yeah, no, I mean, I'm obviously Monty Blanco I, Forres has been there. A couple of guys were testing there before this year. I know a lot of guys have been out at the end of last year and earlier in this year um, that was testing there. Um, and I was mixing with them already with the first exit. I went out, was maybe just under a second from the top and then built up and then actually went faster than the record there on the third day. So you know you're not too far off if, you, if you're mixing up with the lap record, you know. Um, and so, 
And same with Porter Mao, like Forrest was fast out the box. He was faster than everyone, but he couldn't really go faster. You know, it was like, because he'd been there, he knew the track that Porter Mao was a bit more difficult to learn. A lot of elevation, blind corners. Um, but then at the end, we managed to like go a little bit faster. Like he hit a wall because he knew where. And I was still building, understanding the bike, understanding the tires, it's a different track, you know. Um, but I feel good. I was working mainly on race runs. Um, I was a little bit, not not disappointed, but the the last exit of Halloran went uh, one-tenth faster than me on the last day in Portimao, but I wasn't time attacking. You know? I was working mainly on race runs. That's what I did on the last day because I said to the guys, after here, I'm not going to be able to do any race simulation. So let me do two race runs on the last day and one time attack in the middle of the day when the weather was hot. Um, and that's what we did. So I was still happy with that. Um, and I feel good. I'm just looking forward to seeing how it is on these tracks like Cadwell, Alton, Truxton. Uh, see how we get on with that. What about the race weekend format? Because you've talked about the fact you've got two races, sometimes three, but also the fact you've got the showdown. It's really going to be important to bag podiums, isn't it? And bank these podium credits to have a bit of a bonus when you get to that showdown at the end of the year. Yeah, to be honest, I haven't really looked into the schedule, but it's a lot of a lot of riding, uh, a lot of sessions. Not really a lot of long time on the bike, but a lot of sessions. Um, so I just put in my head, just every time I go on the bike, try to be within the top three or top four, and then. The rest will kind of follow suit, if you know what I mean. That's the easiest way to approach it and try to prepare myself for the showdown. I like the showdown. I don't like the showdown. Um, you can spend all year working to get to the showdown and you can be leading the championship all year long and then you could have one mechanical failure in the showdown and you've cost you a championship. Yeah, that's the point, though. But all the headlines... Are sort of around you, aren't they? This year, going into BSP, do you feel it's the classic question? But do you feel extra pressure coming in as the MotoGP man? I wouldn't say really pressure. Pressure only occurs when you're struggling. Um, it's more of a confidence thing, in my opinion. I always work hard, and I don't really get anything back for it. So now I've, I've got a good bike, a good team. I want to show people what I can do. Like I don't know why people don't come back to these tracks maybe earlier you know like to stay in MotoGP for many years and struggle and struggle and struggle I don't know if they're scared of the tracks or scared of maybe not being successful but I could have had options to stay and do other things but I chose to go to BSB and take the challenge you know what I mean it's, it's completely different uh, but I thought you know what let's give it a go you've got a good bike there you've got a good team you can be competitive and you can show people the Scott Redding who they remember from 2008, 2009, 10, 12, 14, you know. Uh, and that's what I feel I've lost over the past years in MotoGP. I've kind of just disappeared in the background for not no reason, but not for my performances, just on results of what's happened. So now I've got a bike that can do it. I need to show to the people that I can do it. I know exactly what you mean there because often in, in the media you get this, don't you? There's people who, who should know better really, who seem to forget things very quickly. You know, in the grand scheme of things, it's not that long ago since you were winning the British Grand Prix, Moto2, challenging for the title, could have easily won it if you hadn't got hurt. You know, people seem to forget things very quickly, but you're still the same Scott Redding now as you were then. Yeah, and that's what I, I kind of explain to people. Go and look to my 
my my records, what's happened in the past, go and see and then come back and say the things that you're saying, you know, but some people are sour, but I mean, I don't really take notice of that. Maybe it's how the world goes round. Um, some people love you, some people hate you, and maybe I can learn something either way. Yeah, and I guess this is a learning year in many ways, but I suppose just to sum this up, there's no doubting what the target is this year, is it? British Superbike champion? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't have the chance for it to be a learning year. You know what I mean? People say yeah. the MotoGP glory star Scott Redding coming back, that says enough, you know, he, I need to win the title. I need to do everything I can. And I knew that before I signed the contract. So that's what I'm going for. That's what I'm preparing for. I've done the best I can in the short time we have of testing. And I've used my time wisely. I mean, I can't prepare any better than I have. I feel ready. I feel I can do it. So we'll see you at Silverstone round one. And all credit to you for doing it when other people might not have done it through uh, fear or whatever it might be. But one last thing I've just thought of, actually. Have you had much of a chance to look at the other bikes when you've been testing? You know, we've got Brad Ray on a Suzuki, Tara McKenzie on his bike, the McCams Yamaha. They're the only two riders in the field who actually haven't moved Timor bike this year. But everyone else has switched around. Who's looked good to you? To be honest, mate, I don't even know half of these other riders are. I've never spent time in the UK, so I don't really know who is who. Um, I've just been keeping myself to myself, on track, off track, doing what i got to do. Um, that's it, really, mate. Um, I look forward to it. I'm definitely not scared of a challenge, um, and that's what I took for this year. We'll see how it plans out the first race, and, and we'll see. So what are you up to now between now and the Silverstone Media Day? Then, of course, it's uh, pretty much straight onto the race. Much going on before then? preparing mate just getting ready for battle just getting everything lined up ready to start the season and get it underway and be, be ready that's the headline then reading power is ready for battle exactly form ready mate Thank you very much indeed to Scott Redding. You've got to admire him for his honesty, haven't you? And he really is a very well-spoken and smart guy who's going to be looking to go out there with a bang immediately from the first race at Silverstone next month. Julian Ryder is on the line now. Julian knows Scott Redding very well. He knows the British paddock well. He knows the MotoGP paddock extremely well. Let's see what he's got to make of it all. And Jules joins us now. Now, Jules, of course, you commentated on Scott Redding with his many successes in the 125s and Moto2 with Eurosport, then BT Sport with MotoGP. But it just seems like he's got that enthusiasm. He's got the bug back again this year. He can fight handlebar to handlebar for race victories, and it's been a while since he's done that. It has indeed. I commentated his first Grand Prix in Qatar all those years ago. I didn't know who he was. Who's this English bloke on the front row? Sorry. English kid because he hardly touched a British circuit. Mm. He'd done, you know, the um, uh, kit bike racing or what have you, and then Spain. Didn't really know him. Front row, and I was so impressed by the way he carved his own lines. He didn't follow anybody, and he had a remarkable high-speed, high-and-wide line into turn one. Totally his own man, even then. And he's still got that attitude now, hasn't he? He very much respects the others around him, but he doesn't really give a damn about what people think. He just gets on with his programme, and you've got to respect him for that. Uh, completely. He's big, he's aggressive uh, on a motorbike, and frankly, if we're talking BSB, consider this, Greg. All he has to do is be in the top six after nine rounds. Then we go to Assen. Mm. 
and I would be down the bookies putting quite a lot of money on him to show most of them the way round out. Yeah. Then we go to Donington, where he became the youngest ever Grand Prix winner. Are you following my train of thought? Yeah, I am, actually. I can see exactly where you're going with this. And, of course, by the time we do get to the finale at Brands Hatch on the Grand Prix circuit, he's going to know the bike, he's going to know the team, he's going to know the championship inside out by then. Yep. I mean, I, I do some of the, the only track I've heard in the past him express doubts about uh, in a conversation in the Grand Prix paddock was Cadwell. And he's not alone in that, obviously. Um, and you would say places like Knock Hill, you know, are probably not going to be. But, you know, we grew up on small cart tracks and kit bike and, you know, so who knows? But I think Cadwell, he might decide that he's a little bit too much for him to stick his neck out on. But, you know, 95 98% Scott Redding is still faster than most of the people we've seen. I suppose the great thing as well for Scott Redding here is because BSB is so varied in the way the championship is and the rules and the different racetracks, there's going to be different people winning races and finishing on the podium anyway. So it's not like they're going to be taking a load of points out of him or podium credits. I, I agree with you. And uh, I think, again, we just have a nod to uh, the... Uh, the BSP technical regs again, which are so cleverly judged to ensure we get that sort of variety. Yes. And let's just go back to Snetterton last year because, of course, James Whitten wasn't with us that particular weekend. You stood in for James and you were commentating with Jack Bernicle and with me. What did you make, Jules, of the general atmosphere of the British paddock? It had been a while since you were last there. Oh, I don't know. It's been about 30 years since I've been at Snetterton, I think. But uh, I enjoyed it thoroughly for several reasons, Greg. Obviously, the quality of the racing, not just in the top classes, but all down the programme. Full grids, competitive grids, a buzzing paddock and accessible to the punter and also affordable to the punter. The number of family groups you saw, you know, mum, dad and a couple of kids are just really, really well thought out on all levels a pleasure to be there and the kids get to have their photo taken with shaky or bradley ray because the paddock's accessible as well what is not to like well you can't disagree with that and in fact talking to bradley ray let's quickly talk about him because he and tara mckenzie are the only two riders in the whole field who are still on the same bike and with the same team as they were last year you've obviously then got scott redding javi forres and several other very quick riders in the mix, but it is almost impossible to call this year. Uh, yes. You know, I'm, I'm looking at Scott Redding and I'm looking at Bradley Ray, frankly. I mean, the sentimental old git in me says that, you know, wouldn't it be good if James Ellison went out on a high? Because he's a bloke who I've always had maximum admiration for his talent and his application. And luck has not always been on his side. No, it hasn't, but it's great to see him there doing that one final year, isn't it? Now, Jules, I can't talk to you without talking about MotoGP. We've only had the one race so far. Argentina, obviously, coming up this weekend. What did you make of Qatar? Um, you know, are you, I guess you're completely used to sitting at home watching these races now. You've had a year of practice. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, actually, more or less according to plan. Yeah. Although I, I think people might be raised an eyebrow that Marquez, with that shoulder still not right, was that competitive over the whole race distance. That 
is going to give people, you know, because I, one of my arguments for this being Ducati's year, Scott Redding in BSB, Alvaro Bautista in Worlds, uh, Dovi in MotoGP, uh, was that basically Marquez is going to start the season handicapped. And he didn't look very handicapped to me. He didn't. <laughs> he didn't. Although I thought Cal Crutchlow did an unbelievable job. He was my man of the weekend, for what it's worth. Just, you know, just when you're thinking, well, you know, all of Honda's blokes are walking wounded, then Cal does that for you. <laughs> yeah. I must ask though, Jules, as a racing romantic, as a bike man at heart, as you are, what do you make of the fact we've got this ex-Ferrari team principal at Aprilia seems to be playing that F1 game of let's put this one through the law courts with the Ducati thing? Is that fair to say? And what do you make of it? Uh, I, I don't know if it's... Um purely down to him but what it does say greg is that this sort of stuff would usually have been sorted out in the msma and wouldn't have been allowed out into the wide world which it has very much hasn't it this time which it very much has although i see aprilia have said uh, in italian media that they have no wish to deprive dovi of the win at all but they do want the regs clarified and i, I this is what i'm seeing greg i think from the non-English speaking parts of the paddock is some dissatisfaction with Erta and the way the regs are written. Because it was obviously a very clever interpretation of the regs, wasn't it, from Ducati? Very GG, very GG. Yeah. It's difficult to know what to say, isn't it? But you, really, you should sit back and go, yep, yeah, well done, GG, you've done it again. Um and change the regs at the end of the year if necessary. Which brings us to World Superbikes quite nicely because Gigi Delinia's done a similar thing there, you could say, in the way he's used MotoGP technology, put it on a road bike. It's the good old homologation special again, isn't it? Oh Yeah, I, I don't think anybody can afford to do that just to win races anymore. We've got to sell a few motorbikes as well. Um, but it's a, a very Grand Prix machine, fairly obviously. Although, you know, the, the R1 ain't that, you know, there's a fair bit of M1 in that. I mean, rumour has it as well, you know, things like the R6, that it was, its geometry was jigged off the M1. Mm. Uh, you know, so there's... But I know what you mean, Greg, the Ducati is a... You know, you look at it, you go, this is the trickiest, trickiest road bike I've ever seen. It's raised the level, hasn't it? It's raised the bar, certainly in world superbikes, I think it's fair to say. One of them has. Mm. One well, of well them. that's true. One of them has. And we'll have Chas Davis on the podcast next week. I mean, he's been very honest, I think, about the struggles he's had so far. But Bautista has just clicked, hasn't he? It's been incredible. How surprised have you been? Not very around Philip Island because you know what he can do around there and has done. He's always been good at making tyres last. I think a couple of Argentine races when in the closing five laps or so, Alvaro just appeared out in midfield and closed down at the speed of light on top four, top five positions. So it's no surprise he can do that. The Buriram race, though, even sat at home on my city, you could see how uncomfortable he was, especially with a full petrol tank. That thing did not want to go into corners. It looked really, really nasty. And he still won handily on it. Yeah, and they do say that. I don't know the greats win the races they shouldn't win. And that, maybe that's what he did there. I don't know. I, I, it looked like it to me, you know, on the TV. Because it, if on the TV you can see a motorbike misbehaving, you know, you know it's really serious. But Alvaro made it work. 
although I, I, I could either make myself look like an idiot here or or not, but I wrote in Motorcycle News last week that I still think Jonathan Ray is going to win the world title this year. What do you reckon? Well, I thought that even after, you know, Philip Island, I thought, well, you know, okay, let's, you know, that's an Alvaro and a Ducati track, isn't it? But after Buriram, I ain't so sure. Uh, you know, I really, really don't. My confidence in, you know, has evaporated on that one. What a good job. Oh, what a good job we go to Aragon where there's no long straights next time. Ah. Oh. <laughs> Let's see what happens in Aragon. Now, before we sign off, Jules, of course, we must talk about the fact that for three of the races this year, the Portuguese round, when James Whitten will be at Alton Park for BSB, the only clash of the year, you will be joining us in the World Superbike commentary box. So, Julian Ryder, back to World Superbike. So, what's that, about 19 years? since I, uh, I, I did a World Supers commentary. I've never been to Portimao, so I'm absolutely thoroughly looking forward to seeing that place. Many, many thanks from me, Greg Haynes, to our guests this week, Scott Ridding of the PBM Ducati team in British Superbikes and Julian Ryder. As we said there, Julian will be joining us for World Superbike commentary at Portimao in Portugal later on this season in the meantime wishing you the very best of weekends remember there is MotoGP from Argentina and we'll be bringing you all of the highlights on the Quest channel on Monday evening so watch out for that and full throttle the podcast will be returning next Wednesday as we move into April and we'll have Chaz Davis on the show previewing the Aragon World Superbike round after two weekends off following the Thai races and Chaz will really be looking to get some more points on the board just 18 for him so far this season and what has been a really difficult start for the Welshman contrasted of course with his teammate Alvaro Bautista on the other Aruba Ducati making it six out of six so thank you to Scott Redding thanks to Julian Ryder Chaz Davis is on the show next week and don't forget those Quest MotoGP highlights on Monday speak to you next week hold up what was that Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.